Welcome to our weekly podcast called the Three Minute Therapy Podcast. I'm here with my partner, Mick Berry, and we have a special guest today, Jill Levitt, and we'll all get a chance to introduce ourselves, and I'll do a little introducing. Also, I'm Dr. Michael Edelstein. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've been trained in REBT, Rationally Emotive Behavior Therapy, by Albert Ellis, who started a revolution in psychotherapy by uh, changing the path of therapy from the more psychologically <laughs> oriented therapy to uh, the cognitive behavior type therapy that is so popular these days. And Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy by Albert Ellis starts with the premise that our emotions come from our thinking about situations, not from situations themselves. And it comes from a particular type of thinking, and that's thinking in terms of demands. Must, should, supposed tos, have tos, demands we put on ourselves, others, and situations. I must do well and get approval or else I'm no good. Life must go well or it's no good, and others must treat me well, or else they're no good. So uh, we teach clients to identify their irrational beliefs that cause their anxiety, depression, anger, procrastination, and addictions, and show them how they can question, challenge, contradict, and uproot those demands and reinforce the underlying preferences which makes sense. Today, I am joined as usual with my partner, Mick Berry, uh, REBT practitioner, who is starting a REBT meetup group. What's the name of that group, Mick? San Francisco, what is it? San Francisco Rational Thinking and Behavior Meetup. How about Fabulous. that? I slipped in a lot of the words there because I'm not a therapist, but I slipped in enough of REBT to uh, steal from it. <laughs> Great. So that's the REBT meetup group. And our special guest today is Jill Levitt, who is, uh, could we say you're the director of the Cognitive Training Institute, Jill? I am the director of training at the Feeling Good Institute. So we do have a director and a clinical director, and then I'm the director of training. I see. And I assume it's called the Feeling Good Institute, named after David Byrne's book, Feeling Good? Exactly. Okay, great. So today we want to compare and contrast REBT and cognitive therapy. And I would say one of the main similarities is that in cognitive therapy, you also agree that it's our uh, beliefs that cause our emotions, not situations. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yes. I think we'll find there are far more similarities than differences, right? Um, but, yeah. but yes. And by the way, I just wanted to say David Burns, who um, wrote the book Feeling Good and who's kind of inspired a lot of the work, uh, the clinical work that we do and and training as well. 
is a huge fan of Albert Ellis's and oftentimes talks about Alex Ellis in his trainings as well. So again, yeah, so the for sure the main tenet of cognitive therapy is the way that we think uh, impacts the way that we feel. Yes, and uh, we interviewed, or at least I interviewed with an earlier partner, uh, David Burns. We had two interviews with David Burns. Oh, great. So uh, do you do either of you have any other thoughts about similarities between REBT and cognitive therapy, Mick? Yeah, well, the main thing is, and this is what's most important, that our thinking and our emotions are interconnected, and people often think they can't change their emotions, but the way to change them is to... Uh, change your thinking and when we're thinking in self-defeating ways or feeling depressed angry or rageful there's a distorted thought going on or an irrational thought and so we change the irrational thought and then we feel better and one thing i've learned through rebt is that the irrational thought is unrealistic the rational thought is realistic. I read Feeling Good, and that was what got me going on this path. And I found it pretty amazing. It's quite a book. And I found myself being happy. I was 27 at the time. I found myself being happy in ways that I didn't know I could be happy since the age of 12. I had a problem with depression off and on since the age of 12. And I was amazed about how I could feel so good. Now, I was going to mention a difference, if that's okay to mention that now, Michael. Yeah, sure. Yeah. The thing is, Jill, I found that nowhere in the, I only discovered this years later, but what happened to me was I was feeling so good, but then I started having anxiety about getting depressed or anxiety about anxiety. And nowhere in the book did I find David Burns addressed the secondary disturbance, which is anxiety about anxiety or depression about depression. And that is when things can really spin out of control to where we become severely depressed because, oh, God, I'm depressed. Oh, no, I'm depressed. Oh, it's awful. Oh, no, I'm depressed. And now I'm always going to be depressed and I've always been depressed. And in any case, Nowhere in the book was the secondary disturbance addressed, and I then found REBT, which addressed the secondary disturbance. Yeah, and is that is that accurate interpretation, Jill? Of you know, actually, I, it's interesting. I wouldn't say that it's addressed as a secondary disturbance, but I would imagine. I mean, to me, that comes up all the time, and I address it all the time with patients. It's just that it's a secondary level of distorted thoughts, right? Like if one has the thought, "Oh no, I'm depressed," what they're really saying is, "I shouldn't be depressed," and that's a cognitive distortion. And so that just to me, just that just goes right on their daily mood log as a new distorted thought, which is, "I shouldn't be depressed." And then we would challenge, you know, we would look at the distortions in that thought and challenge that with all sorts of cognitive therapy methods that we have. So it, it may be the case that it wasn't explicitly spelled out in that way. But I feel, of course, when I'm working with patients with anxiety, anxiety about anxiety is about, you know, is half the battle. 
patients with panic disorder, for example, you know, by definition are worried about the symptoms that they're having. And so for sure, those are things we address in cognitive therapy, um, but, yeah. but, but maybe not as explicitly or without that label, I think. Yeah. Another, what seems to me to be a difference, and let me know if I understand kind of behavior therapy accurately, is uh, REBT is a philosophic kind of therapy, and that is we look at the philosophies behind not only the cognitive distortions, but the philosophies behind uh, uh, what cognitive behavior therapy calls uh, distortions. And uh, the philosophy is in terms of musts and shoulds. And we say Musts, all musts and shoulds are fictions. There are no musts and shoulds. There's nothing you absolutely have to do except maybe die one day. But but in terms of psychopathological musts and shoulds, they don't exist. They're all fictions. So we recommend our clients look at the world without demands, without musts and shoulds, just with preferences. Is that a difference or does... Uh, yeah, I would say, yeah, it, it, it's funny. I also think what we're, depends on who you're trained by and things like that. So I don't know about Becky and cognitive therapy as, you know, specifically, but again, I do so much of my teaching and training with David Burns, who, you know, was influenced by Ellis. So we talk about that all the time. When we talk about should statements, we say there are only a couple of things in the world that should happen. Like if I drop this pen, it it should fall to the ground by the law of gravity, right? And there are you know, laws that we should follow uh, because that otherwise we're, you know, thrown in jail. But there's definitely no law that says people should treat you the way that you want to be treated. Uh, right? good, and, yeah. and there's no law that says I, I should be smarter than I am um, or I should always be a perfect mother. And so, again, I think um, and perhaps it has its roots in REBT, but I, I spend a lot of time um on the cognitive distortions with my patients and should statements is only one of them, right? There's all or nothing thinking and overgeneralization and self-blame and, you know, tons of cognitive distortions. Um, so yeah, yeah again, I think there's some, some overlap there too. Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to say, this is another difference with <clears throat> REBT and cognitive therapy in the book. David Burns lists, I believe 10 cognitive distortions disqualifying the positive mind reading should statements is one of them should statements is one of them i have found that they really do all come down to a demand a should a must a have to that every cognitive distortion every irrational thought is based upon a demand of something happening um, I mean, mind reading of thinking people are thinking badly of me, that within that is the idea, I must not have people think badly of me. Now, the chances are slim that if I'm walking down the street, uh, people are thinking badly of me. But even if they are, it isn't going to hurt me if they're just, you know, I'm not working with them, that we have no affiliation. So I don't have to have people think well of me. So anyway, this was uh, a big difference I noticed because REBT says it's all about the demand, whereas cognitive therapy lists can. And they're very, they're very useful. I And I think that 
um, it's a wonderful book, and it's great that David has had so much success with it, because really, I don't know if I would have uh, found the help that I needed, because I was very, very depressed for 15 years, since the age of 12. I mean, it, it would come and go, but I had a problem with it. And so the book was terrific. But I do think it could be improved upon in including the depression about depression, simply because I have found and REBT says, this is the thing to really watch out for. Albert Ellis does say the craziest thought you can have is I must not be irrational. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I just, uh, oh, sorry, I was just going to say one other thing and then I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Um, is there's a big, and again, this is in my training with David Barnes. And, and by the way, he has written a new book that's called Feeling Great. And so it does have a lot of changes and advancements to feeling good. Um, but what I would say too, and, and I think this maybe is a, getting at a little bit of this being depressed about being depressed is um, we address motivation a lot more now um, in this model of CBT. And one of the things that we do in addressing motivation is we call it positive reframing. And it's kind of looking at actually all of the benefits and positives of your, you know, negative thoughts and feelings. Um, and so to some extent, that might be saying that, like, when someone is feeling sad, maybe they're, they're, um, grieving, we say what's beautiful about your grief is that it shows how much you care about, you know, this person or this thing that you've lost. And so we spend time actually trying to help people authentically feel sort of proud of their symptoms and understanding their symptoms and why they have them. And so I think in some way that also chips away at the concept of like shame about, right, you're saying, you know, it, like feeling shamed about being depressed or thinking that I shouldn't be depressed. It's almost like, no, you should be, you know, based on these different things. And of course, I mean, we don't mean that entirely because we want to help people to feel better, but we do want to help people understand, um, you know, what, what anxiety, how anxiety can be advantageous and what it shows about what you care about and what you value. And I do think that that helps kind of get away uh, or chip away at the, the feelings about the feelings that you're referring yeah. to. Yeah, Albert Ellis introduced that strategy with REBT, and he called it referencing, mm -hmm. where you you uh, let the situation in your mind refer to some of the positives, not only the negatives. That's referencing. Another aspect of REBT, which is probably in CBT, but not as emphasized as much as REBT, is unconditional self-acceptance. Mm -hmm. So we teach clients whether they do well or poorly or people like them or dislike them, they're always imperfect humans who act imperfectly. Yep. And that's the most accurate statement about their worth. So there's no worthwhile people or worthless people, good people or bad people. There are just us imperfect humans who act imperfectly. Mick? Yeah, and I was just going to say, I still... I do an REBT exercise every morning to uh, stay mentally healthy. And I gauge my um, lack of mental disturbance or my mental disturbance on falling into one of three categories. Am I not 
unconditionally accepting myself or unconditionally accepting the world or unconditionally accepting other people because everything will fall within one of those three categories. And so I begin there and I can see, oh, I didn't do well last night at uh, the performance I was given. And so I'm thinking badly of myself uh, rather than badly of the performance. And along those lines of accepting myself unconditionally, it's pretty easy to do if I just remember there's something called the past and there's something called the future so that I don't become arrogant. No matter how many great things I've done, I can always mess up in the future. And no matter how many bad things I've done, I can always do better in the future. Very good. Jill, there are two other points I want to ask you about before we conclude. One is uh, in terms of helpful negative emotions. Uh, So in REBT, we don't say all negative emotions are bad. There are appropriate adaptive negative emotions, like feeling frustrated when your goals are blocked or disappointed or displeased. Uh, And there are unhelpful negative emotions, such as anxiety, depression, and anger. So does uh, CBT have an equivalent to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I would actually say anxiety is sometimes helpful, right? I mean, if I'm walking down a street at night in the dark and I hear, you know, the sounds of footsteps behind me being anxious and and checking my way or jogging if someone's threatening is helpful. So so right is adaptive. I mean, there's there's maladaptive and adaptive emotions. Um, and I would say it has more to do with the function they serve and the intensity than the the name of them. Um, but yeah, and the way the way that it comes out in CBT and the way that I practice it is is actually that we we use something called the daily mood log um, or a thought record or whatever you want to call it. And we have patients actually circle the feelings that are coming up for them. Let's say they have a negative event occur um, or they have a test that's coming up and then they have a whole range of negative emotions. Um, and we have them rate those emotions and then we have them write down their thoughts that are driving those emotions. And, um, and then the question is actually, we ask a question that's, you know, if you could kind of dial that emotion down to just the right level, right, where it was working for you, but not hurting you. And so that's how we kind of honor that idea, right? And there isn't, it isn't the fact, I don't have a tool that's actually going to help people dial their emotion down to, you know, 70% or in mm-hmm. most cases, 10%. But the idea is more that that you're instilling in people the concept that it's not the emotion at all that's a problem, but it's the emotion at the degree that you're experiencing it, right, that's getting in your way, or it's your distorted thoughts that are driving those emotions, right? So maybe here's here's where we come to a substantive difference, because in in REBT, we see all anxiety as unhelpful, inappropriate, because if it's a little anxiety, it comes from a little must. And as we agreed earlier, all musts are fictions. There's nothing that has to be. Uh, so, so an appropriate negative emotion would be great concern or on a dark street, vigilance. Or, I see. But not, not any level of anxiety. Yeah, I was going to say, I can give you a tool, Jill, and the tool would be finding the demand. Now, one thing I've learned, it's tricky because the more we want something, the easier it is to turn it into a demand, and it's only human to do so. And I still do that myself. 
And some people, I've heard people in Buddhism say, well, give up all worldly desires. I think that's ridiculous. Keep your desires, get rid of your demands, but it takes practice, as Ellis would say, practice, practice, practice. Because the more we want something, the easier it is to turn it into a demand, but that doesn't mean we can't gain the skill. We can gain the skill to keep our really passionate desires as passionate desires and not yeah. turn them into demands. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And there are, I, I just thought, wanted to add, I mean, there are, when, when you talked about the exercises that you do um, in the mornings, Mick, you know, there are a lot of cognitive therapy exercises that overlap with lots of those things. Like we use the method that's called be specific. And it is basically this idea, like if I snapped at my kid in the morning and I said, I'm a terrible mother, right? That's an overgeneralization and a label. And, and again, as you would say, it's a demand, like I should be a perfect mother right. or maybe have a different way of wording it. And then we use the word be specific, which is like, I can just describe the occurrence without any of the distortions. Like, um, you know, when I'm, uh, when I'm pressed for time, I sometimes snap at my child. And maybe that's something that I want to work on, but I don't then need the label. I'm a terrible mother in order to be motivated to work on it. And so you know, there, there are other methods, shades of gray, and we have a method that's called best worst average, which again is very similar to this idea that <laughs> I'm this way at my best, I'm this way at my worst, I'm this way on average, but I am not, you know, a terrible person or an impatient person, right? Right, right. And then right. finally, on, on the uh, gradation idea, I think another substantive difference is we see all anger is inappropriate because, as Mick was saying, Look for the must, and with any anger, there's a must, and that is you must treat me better, you must not criticize me, those things. So even a little anger is inappropriate because it comes from a little must, but it's still a must. Does that make sense, Jill? Yeah, no, that is a difference for sure, because we would say, again, I kind of would say, like, if you had a dial and you could dial that anger to kind of just the right level where you could hang on to your, let's say, self-respect or your standards or you know like where would you want that to be and again i kind of leave that up to the patient like i'm saying well when it's too high obviously it gets in your way and it interferes in your relationships and you're cranky and but you know is there a level where you feel like you can kind of hang on to right like some of those expectations um and at the same time not be suffering as much and so yeah i would agree that is a difference yeah Mick. And I just thought of a similarity, a big, big similarity, which I think is highly important and really rests on uh, mental health rests upon it, which is semantic precision. Yeah. Because if we're being semantically precise, which means realistic and accurate, then we will steer ourselves away from disturbing ourselves and self-defeating feelings and behavior. And I have a question for you guys, which is my my understanding of REBT, and it may be like an old school, old wives tale, or it may be totally true, but is that therapists and REBT are are more sort of aggressive and, you know, kind of in your face. And, um, you know, uh, whereas with CBT, actually, I would say that I'm very direct and I'm I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm not letting my patients BS or pretending they're different than they are, but I, but there's a lot of empathy woven into the work that I do. And I suspect you guys are, are also quite empathic, but I'm curious what your spin on that is. Are you, 
you know, are you like telling your patients, this is the way it is, and this is the way it's meant to be, you know, or do you feel like there is a more collaborative, like spirit to REBT? Yeah, well, I think that's an old wives tale, or not to be sexist, an old husband's tale also. <laughs> Fair enough, thank yeah. you. And um, one of the main things we teach clients is to ask, what is the evidence? So it's up to them to look yeah. for evidence rather than the therapist telling them there's no must, there's no shoulds, things like that, but rather uh, having them look for the evidence. What is the evidence that you have to do what you want to do? Or where is the evidence that people must treat you the way you want? And in the A, B, C, D, E, F, D is disputing or asking, what is the evidence for my irrational belief, for my must or my should? Does that answer that? Yeah, yeah that, it is, that it is more collaborative. We do exactly the same thing. We're asking the patients, what are the distortions in your thoughts? Like, I want you to identify the distortions. We do examine the evidence as well. So yeah, you feel like it is more more collaborative and less less bossy than its reputation. Mick, if you, you could take just a few seconds to say what you want yeah, to say. Yeah. Well, my, my, here. yeah, my main experience is giving myself the therapy. And I am very hard-nosed with myself. And so I'll be very forceful, very passionate, and very not not to demand myself to give up the irrational thought, but I'll just tell myself, "Come on, pal, is that true? It's not true. It's ridiculous to believe it. Throw it out. You'll feel a lot better." Now I'll use profanity in there because it's inspired by Albert Ellis, who, of course, let the profanity fly. But in any case, my main experience is with myself, in which I'm rigorous and I do follow Albert Ellis's advice. Push your ass. <laughs> and Jill, to answer your question, it's really up to the style of the therapist. It's right. not necessary to RBT to be more confrontative or less confrontative, more uh, passionate like Mick is or less passionate, but mainly to teach them the theory, the approach, and, and how to apply it. But yeah. we yeah. had a very informative session here. I learned some new things about cognitive behavior therapy. Uh, so thank you, Jill, for uh, joining us. Jill Le Levitt, the Director of Training of the Cognitive Therapy Institute. Mick Berry, my partner in crime here. And I'm Dr. Michael Edelstein, a clinical psychologist. If you had any thoughts about this interview, please comment below. Give us a thumbs up if you enjoyed it. Suggest subjects for future podcasts. Volunteer if you'd like to be a guest on our uh, interview and podcast. Looks like Jill survived very nicely. <laughs> and I highly recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, subscribe to the Three Minute Therapy podcast to stay on the rational side of life.